2.0. You know, we're not settling for 0.0 or 1.0. We're going up 2.0. I love being here with you. I love getting to connect with you. Wherever those that are gathered here, we're praying God's spirit that you would feel his empowerment and lift. And those who are connecting with us online, we're asking him to meet you right where you are as we remind one another today that nothing is too hard for God that his desire is to take us to 2.0, whatever, to the next level, to lift us and take us into his mission, his purpose, his hope for our lives. Because he's desiring to show you what success looks like. We love success stories, don't we? I mean, we've got success stories in this room. We've got success stories in Miami. I want to tell you, one of them is a guy named Armando Codina, perhaps you've heard of him. He was a Pedro Pan kid. His mother made the ultimate sacrifice, sent him unaccompanied to, uh, from Cuba to Miami at uh, age 14, along with thousands of other children during the Castro regime. He was alone. He had no knowledge of English. He was sent to an orphanage. Then he was handed off from foster care to foster care, held several jobs through the years trying to save up enough money so that he could help support his mother when she arrived. And this is what he says. Miami was a frontier town in the good sense. Miami didn't ask me, who are your mother and father? Miami just wanted to know if I was willing to roll up my sleeves and work and get involved in the community. So I did. And so through the years, he started and then sold several businesses He helped with the restoration efforts in Miami after Hurricane Andrew. We remember that. Uh, He was a co-chair in the We Will Rebuild effort with Alva Chapman, Christian Christian leader, Christian businessman from right here in uh, Coral Gables. He's now, Mr. Codina, is now the executive chair of a real estate development company, a philanthropist. He believes that a key definer of what it means to be a Miamian Somebody asked you, what does it mean to be a Miami? And here's what he said. It's about resilience. It's about the ability to bounce back time and again. And I feel privileged to know Mr. Codina as an inspiration and as a friend. He's a true Miami success story in discovering and doing his life mission from God right here. Just as God wants to take us into our life mission, whatever the vocation is. God can still lift it to his mission. So we're continuing our series today, Life Mission 2.0, growing from Acts, uh, one of the most exciting books in all the New Testament, and then rising especially through the amazing adventures of the Apostle Paul, his second and third missionary journeys. And today we're in Acts chapter 16. If you want to turn there in your Bible, you're welcome to. We'll be showing the text on the lower thirds of our screen Picking it up in verse 11, where in the Roman city, Roman city of Philippi, we find four inspiring success stories told. Stories that involve resilience, the ability to bounce back in the midst of challenging circumstances. One was a businesswoman named Lydia. Then there was this mysterious unnamed girl, fortune teller. 
Then there was a Roman jailer whose life is literally coming undone. His world is coming undone around him. And then Paul himself with Silas bouncing back from some extreme situations. And these are in there to bring lift and inspiration to us. But I'm thinking that today, each one of these could be an honorary citizen of Miami if resilience is what characterizes what being Miamian is. Now remember, it was after a series of no's. This is where we were last time. No, 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 that God was giving no, no, no. And God, then God gave Paul a great big yes in a dream that he had of a man from Macedonia saying, come, help us. So they get up, they put out to sea. You can see where he's going there. Um, and then coming to land, they travel to what verse 12 tells us is Philippi a Roman colony, careful to tell us that, and the leading city in the district of Macedonia where they stay several days. So this is our group at that site in Greece where Paul is believed to have come ashore, Neapolis. So we're pretty excited to be there, imagining entering the story with Paul, and then that mural behind us depicts a dedication site of how Paul had that dream, then took that trip, and then followed that vision on land to get to the site we're talking about today. Right outside of town, verse 13 says, outside the city gate, we expected to find a place of prayer. So there's a few surprises here. We've been seeing surprises along the journey of Acts, but a few surprises here. First, Paul's typical practice was to go into a town and go to the synagogue first. But here, he doesn't do that. Why? There's obviously no synagogue. There are not enough Jews in town to have a synagogue because it requires a certain number to be able to have a synagogue because there's obviously no synagogue here. And so they, he found out there was going to be a prayer meeting down by the river and uh, outside of town. So perhaps they saw that message that was inscribed on the archways into the city that said any unrecognized religion was prohibited from entering the city. And maybe that's why the prayer group was down there by the river, which is where we went also. We're not, we're not told why that was happening, but then there's another surprise. When he gets down by the river, there's another surprise. Remember, Paul saw a vision that had a man in it, and when he gets to the river, it's a group of women. And uh, we, it, he says this, we sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now, the day we were there, as a, there was also a group of women praying at the riverside uh, from Miami. <laughs> and one in particular that was especially attractive to me, and she was actually leading the prayer group. So it's nice when that works out like that. Okay, if you're new to us, that's my wife, Lisa. Okay, so don't, don't uh, get concerned about that. But it's interesting that Paul, he didn't say, when he came to a group of women, he didn't say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. My vision was of a man. I can't be talking to women. No. It was a surprise, and he went with it, and he starts telling his message to the women, and the gospel is for everybody, and uh, it turns out that one woman's heart was open to the message. Her name was Lydia. Lydia was an independent, influential businesswoman. She was a dealer in purple cloth, and she was from Thyatira, which was a region known for the clothing industry and the purple dye in particular that it was famous for. Even the ancient author Homer 
mentions Thyatira and its dye in the Iliad. Well, Lydia's from Thyatira, and purple was her color. And uh, it was extremely valuable and expensive because it was worn as a sign of nobility, royalty, which is kind of an indicator that Lydia had high-end clients in her business. She was kind of like the Anne Klein of northern Greece. And she was wealthy. She was of reputable character. She was reverent and God-fearing of a mind. And she was a homeowner in her own right, which uh, 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 means she's of some means. Perhaps her husband had died. And as Paul spoke, verse 14, something happened. We're praying for that to happen for somebody today, too. As God's message is spoken, that perhaps something more will happen. It says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household um, were baptized, she invited us there to her home. And this is what she said to Paul. If you consider me a believer a believer in the Lord, then come, stay in my house. And she persuaded us. So um, it seems that her home actually becomes Paul's base of operations for his ministry in Philippi. And so in this, I'm also thinking, maybe we see the nature of her success. What we've got here is her ability to bounce in the midst of changing circumstances. Here's a business leader who knows a good thing when she sees it. Does that sound like an entrepreneur to you? And then she isn't afraid to risk taking the step, seizing the day, and going with it as the doors open, the doors of her mind open, the doors of her heart open, and then she steps by faith into trust of the story and experiences God's Messiah in Jesus for herself. And then, like any good entrepreneur, she wants to spread it around, so she takes it first to her family, to her home, to her household. Why? So that they likewise could experience the joy she's found, and then they can follow the Messiah, be baptized and enter into Christ's story for themselves. And then at the end of that, it says that she's, she's prepping her home to be ready for Paul. you got to come home with me. Now, this is an interesting, she invites them. That word can be translated begged. There's emotion in it. Simple word, but it's packed with emotion. And then verse 15 ends with Dr. Luke saying this, she persuaded us. Now, that word carries the sense of being compelled. This is what the Greek uh, interpreters say, compelled with a force that would not be refused. In other words, here's a woman who wouldn't take no for an answer. You're coming home with us. The table's ready. The house is ready. You got to come to my house. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And so Luke says, she persuaded us. So when her ball bounced as a believer, she didn't know what she was going to experience that day. But when her ball bounced, it wasn't just with the diminutive return of a normal ball. She was like super ball. It, it bounced even higher and then in an increasing way, perhaps teaching us this. Jesus is greater than the success of material privilege. She had material privilege, but she found something else that day, and she went with it the success story of Lydia. Next story, Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke, they just kept going to that place of prayer. You know, they, they couldn't meet in town, but they were meeting outside of town. And, and one day, it says, verse 16, once when we were going, we met a slave girl 
who had a spirit that empowered her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. So from the high end of the entrepreneurial success scale, we now are swinging to the other end of the, of the scale, a slave girl. Now our nation has a tragic story of slavery. This is no surprise to anybody. So did Rome. Slavery was common in the Roman Empire. There were millions and millions of slaves. This girl was one of them. The Hebrew people themselves, Paul was a Jew, had a Hebrew history. They had come out of their own history of slaves in Egypt until God, the one true living God, introduces himself to them as the God who comes to set people free, set the captives free. And here's the irony where that story intersects with hers. The irony is this was the fortune girl in town who was living in unfortunate misfortune. How ironic. People would go to her for their fortune, but she wasn't living much of one. She's in, actually, she's possessed. Here's some of her backstory. Not only by human masters that are willing to exploit her, but also by a dark spiritual force that she can't get free of. Now, the Greek word that Dr. Luke writes to describe her would have been known at the time, Python-S, a Pythoness. What is that? The spirit of Python. Well, what we learned in Greece was this. According to legend, a huge serpent named Python had guarded Delphi, but it was slain by the infant god Apollo. And that snake then fell into the earth. This is how the legend goes. And the fumes rose up from the place that the, where the carcass lay rotting. And then whoever stood over that opening and breathed in those fumes would enter into a kind of trance. And people were believing that the trance was inspired by Apollo, the god of oracles, which explains why the oracle of Delphi, some of you remember that from your Greece studies, was honored at the temple of Delphi, Delphi. Well, our group also visited the temple of Delphi, Delphi. This was a new learning for me, not only in the journey, but in my background here, um, that Zeus, the god Zeus, here was the legend at the time, had named Delphi, Delphi, the navel of the world. This was, in other words, the belly button of everything that mattered in their culture. And people would come from all over the world at the time to have their fortunes told, believing that the spirit of this python that used to guard was now in the oracle that was going to tell them their futures. And this girl in Philippi, here's what Luke wants us to know. This girl in Philippi that was enslaved and exploited by men willing to take advantage of her, they believed she was channeling the spirit from Delphi, which meant that she was pretty popular to all those Romans who wanted to know, who should I fall in love with? When should I go to war? What kind of business deal should I make? Where is prosperity and success going to come to me in my future? And so she was like the go-to place for all that tell me what's going to happen stuff. And here's the irony of the story is that the success that the, this dark spirit had given her that made others want her was actually leading her to be exploited by masters that were owning her. 
She was making them lots of money, but she was being trafficked in divination, dehumanized by the dark supernatural. And so she started following Paul around, and she started shouting out, these men are servants of the Most High God. They're telling you the way to be saved. And uh, you may think that sounds like a great marketing campaign (laughs) for the ministry, but listeners probably thought she was advertising for Zeus because he was like the supreme god of the pantheon of Greece. And to Paul, she was like an annoyance. And so one day he had his fill of it and he turns to the interfering spirit and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it did. And it left her. Now, her bounce back, her resilience, what would make her a true Miamian? Her ability to bounce back from the stuff she'd been going through, from channeling this dark supernatural under the control of dehumanizing men. How do you bounce back from that? Well, by the power and presence of Jesus, she went from telling other people's fortunes to stepping in to a fortunate future of grace in Christ. So maybe the lesson we take from her is this. Jesus is greater than the success of dark supernatural powers. So if that's ever been a part of your journey or you know somebody that is, I mean, we're not unfamiliar with voodoo and santeria and there are dark supernatural forces at work and we know what that means in Miami, but Paul is saying, you know what? Jesus is greater than the success of those dark powers. But her liberator then in the story was also to learn that there's a price in setting people free. Verse 19, when the owners of the slave girl realized their hope of making money was gone, (laughs) we don't like it when that happens, do we? More taxes, greater inflation, fewer, the profit margin shrinking, they're immediately paying attention to that and saying, this isn't gonna work. And so they seize Paul and Silas, drag them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. Yes, that's the race card being played. Remember, this is a Roman town. There's no synagogue in this town. These men are Jews. And they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful to us as Romans. So you can, you can feel we're not supposed to accept this. We're not supposed to practice this. We're going to do something about this. And really, they're concerned for their bottom line. They're not, it's not fully true what they're shouting. But when you shout anti-Roman in a town like that, it's enough to light the fuse. Philippi was a Roman colony. Historians tell us that it was proud of it and it was settled by military veterans that were soldiers from previous wars who wanted Roman customs, Roman soldiers, Roman culture kept intact. And so mob violence breaks out. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them right there in the marketplace Strip them down, whip them up. Be stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged, that means beaten with a rod or a whip. That's got to hurt. 
They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. I bet he paid attention. Upon receiving such orders, he puts them in the inner cell, fastens their feet in the stocks. That's their version of maximum security. It was reserved for the most dangerous prisoners, and which brings us to another success story. One involving a jailer, the success story number three. Most likely retired military. I mean, this is a no-nonsense, all-business kind of guy. He's a don't-mess-with-me kind of guy. You sure you want to do that? You sure you want to try that? You sure? You're not going to get away with that. He's that kind of guy. And it would literally, it would take an earthquake and imminent death to crack his head open, to soften his heart, and then to wake him up. That's what the story tells us. But his life is about to change. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. I bet they were. And I bet this was the first time anybody ever heard music coming from the maximum security cell. What do you think? Just imagine. I mean, it's the middle of the night. Their bodies are aching. Their wounds are still open and bleeding. Just happened that day. And yet songs of praise are rising from the dark. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Taking his own life would be better than facing the consequences of letting them escape. And then out of the darkness, he hears a voice. Don't harm yourself. It's Paul's voice. We're all here. Somehow Paul had made sure nobody left. We're all here. And by the way, you know, friends, you're wondering, what does the Bible say about suicide? This is as clear as the message gets. Don't do it. Don't harm yourself. We're here. We're here with you. We're here for you. It's the middle of the night. The world's coming undone. Everything's upside down, but we're still here. The man calls for lights, rushes in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brings them out, and he asks theirs, what must I do to be saved? That's like saying, how do I get out of this mess? Look at this. Where's the way out? I don't see the exit. And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. So the jailer, he opens his heart to Jesus. He welcomes Paul and Silas into his home. It says that he washes their wounds, he feeds them a meal, and he bounces back with this joy. And the whole family believes in God and gets baptized. And then it sounds like a success story to me. You know, our Greek guide in Philippi uh, told us that that area had long been known, even today, for the seismic activity that happens there. And then some of the ruins, the rocks that we saw, the the columns that had fallen, uh, these are some of them. Stones and ruins were seen to be caused by earthquakes that are still happening today. So Dr. Luke may not be trying to fabricate something here. And from this earthquake... A hard-hearted, hard-headed man 
who is about to do himself in because he doesn't see another way out, bounces back. He's rescued from danger. He rediscovers his family. And from being that close to taking his own life, his heart and home are now full of God's life. What is the message? Jesus is greater than the success of our self-destructive impulses. The dark places in us, the passions that would mislead us. Our age is very sensitive to feelings of passion. We want to become more emotionally intelligent. We care about the emotional life that rises up in us, the, the passions that we feel. And, and so we're very sensitive to what we're feeling about who that says we are and how we should treat our bodies. And sometimes the impulses within, they call us and they tell us to see ourselves and treat ourselves in certain ways and ways that can even be self-injuring, self-destructive. How can we find our way through the confusing surge of impulses that rise from within in our emotional selves that's the question, isn't it? And some of us, ironically, are, are destroying the selves we know in order to follow the impulses that are taking us there. So if you've ever had to face the call of emotional impulse that feels too strong to overcome, maybe this part of the story is for you. You can bounce back from self-destructive impulses in Jesus. You can find your way out of the dark middle of the night in Jesus. You can find your way back home to your family in Jesus. You know, how, how do you spell success? J-E-S-U-S. That's what chapter 16 is trying to tell. This is the message Paul has taken to some very successful people in a very defined town who are not as successful as they may look to be. Jesus is greater. Lydia would tell you, you know, I've got everything, and what I'd found out is it's not everything. It's not enough. Jesus is greater than the materialism of my world, of my life. Jesus is greater than the success of material privilege. Have you experienced that yet? Okay, the slave girl steps up, and here's what she tells us, you know. I've felt like a cog in the machine of somebody else controlling my life, being controlled by others, and being controlled by something else inside of me that I can't get rid of. But, and then you feel like, man, there's just nothing but futility in my future. I'm just gonna keep serving the man. And they're just going to keep taking advantage of me. Jesus is greater than supernaturalism. Jesus is greater than the success of dark powers that would try to control you and keep you down from the outside. How about this one? The jailer steps up. He says, you know, if you've ever felt trapped and like you're in the middle of a dark place and your own impulses are leading you to want to do something bad to yourself, then selfism, Jesus is greater than our selfism. 
and the success of our impulses and our passions. You can bounce back in Jesus Christ. And the final success story is that of Paul and Silas themselves. I mean, they're bouncing back from being victimized. They're falsely accused. They're misrepresented. They, um, they, and they are, they're being bullied in the culture wars of their day. And yet they're moving from being victims into being victors in Christ. Believer, have you ever been there? Maybe this one is for you. You're doing what God told you to do, and now you've wind up in the middle of the night, in the middle of an earthquake. <laughs> everything is coming undone, and you were doing what's right, and then everything went wrong. Well, there's Paul and Silas right there, and yet resilient. <laughs> They're bouncing back by faith in love. They got a song in the night, a voice in the fight to help set things right in the world one life at a time. Yeah, I wrote that. Is that. Do you like that? A song in the night, a voice in the fight to help set things right in this world one life at a time. Is that what God is trying to give you today? Believer. A song in the night. A voice in the fight. Why doesn't somebody say something? Okay, how about your voice? Why doesn't somebody do something about how dark? Uh, how, God, could you give me a song? To help set things right. Okay, but there's so much. It's so overwhelming. Well, just one life at a time. How do you spell success? Opening hearts, opening minds, opening homes, opening families, seeing them come to Christ, watching them being baptized, lives being changed. Even though Christian, you may be misunderstood, you may be misrepresented, you may be falsely accused, you may be mistreated, you may be blackballed, you may be stripped down, you may be... And yet you still have a song? that somebody could hear if you voice your faith and sing it, even if it's one person, like it was here, to help set things right one life at a time. You know, it occurred to me, you know, Paul saw that vision of a man saying, come help us in Macedonia, and the first man is this man. The first time he is with a man, he's in prison with him. And the guy's getting ready to take his own life, and stuff's not looking good. But Paul is in the dark place with him. So I'm just wondering, believer, if you feel like you're in a dark place right now, maybe you've been bullied against your will. Maybe God wants you just to look around and see who else is there so that you could say, <laughs> You want to learn my song? Could we go through this together? And then we show us this, that Jesus is greater than the culture wars that are trying to control us too. That the way to fight being a victim is by giving voice to the victory we have in Christ. And what do they say? Light a candle, don't just curse the darkness. So what's your next step? What's your bounce back?
today. I guarantee you something's been pushing, holding, fighting, taking, and that you have an opportunity to bounce somewhere. Maybe it's because, you know, in a city like ours with people like us, uh, affluence can sometimes be the goal. And then when you reach your goal, you go, well, why isn't that enough? Maybe Jesus would like you to bounce above material success and find a new way to express it. Or uh, you're just so frustrated with how you feel used by others. It's like you have no control, you're exploited, and they're getting the profit, and you're doing the work, and how long is this going to last? But that could be a bounce where Jesus would meet you today. Or maybe, you know, stuff has just come undone. It's overwhelming, and you're a tough guy. You've been trained as a warrior. you got a hard head, a hard heart. You, it's so that you can fight and win the battles. And yet now you're in the middle of the night, and stuff is coming undone and flying literally through the air. And it would be so that you could learn a new way to do success. I'm just wondering that Jesus could take you from victim to victory in him. And we could all learn how to spell success. J-E-S-U-S today. And come to think of it, these are the people who first got to hear the letter that probably you love, I know I love it, the letter to the Philippians. You know that he wrote about how I can do all things through Christ and joy and prayer and God is with me. Where did that come from? Well, I'm thinking when Paul sat down to write that letter, there were some stories that he had lived with those people and he knew they would know what he was talking about. Would you pray with me? Lord, for somebody who's connecting right now in our space, in this place, in their place, joining us online, how we pray that you would just make it a holy place where just like that prison that Paul was in, your spirit would bring fresh hope fresh healing, fresh perspective to not be swallowed by the darkness but to receive your song in the night that you are at work, you're not finished, we're not finished, there is more coming but the success will come as we learn to trust you more deeply wherever we are in this journey. So friend, brother, sister, would you just lean in? Would you welcome the Spirit's empowerment to your bounce today? Realize that you're not forgotten, you're not alone. Jesus sees you. Jesus is with you. And then perhaps he would say, now would you look around you and see who could you help in this dark place so that they could find me too? Maybe today, as you're joining us, you've realized that you would like to have that personal kind of encounter relationship with Jesus. And this would be the first step of faith that you've ever taken. You can just pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I believe you are real. I believe you love me. I believe you are hearing my prayer. Forgive my sin. Come into my life. Lead me 
so that I could spell success your way as I follow you. Our heads are still bowed just for a moment, but if you prayed with me that last prayer and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, would you simply raise your hand where you're seated and hold it up for a moment? If you're joining us online, then just get into the chat and say, I did too, and let us pray with you as well. Thank you. In the back center to my right, God bless you. And then right here to the front on my right, God bless you. There in the middle, God bless you, sir. And then toward the back, once again on my right, amen. Friends, you know when I'm calling out these names, I don't see every hand, but I'm inviting everyone to pray blessing for each person who says, Lord, I'm listening, I'm trusting, and now would your presence lead them forward as we walk together in you. Amen.